This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the movie The Man in the White Suit, the 1951 British film starring Alec Guinness. This can't be right. That's actually a good movie. Um, well, we didn't prepare for this. I mean, literally, we didn't prepare for this. We watched A Fish Called Wanda instead. Cinematic Respect. I'm Charlie Wallace. I'm your first co-host. And I'm Jessica Clares, your second co-host. Uh, and there was an additional note from our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, this week. And that it's whenever we refer to the hero of the story, the actor, his name should be pronounced John Cleese. <laughs> Cleese? Like cheese? Yep, Is that, that the way he the... himself pronounces his name? I don't see why Adam would ask him to, us to pronounce it a way that John Cleese didn't pronounce it. Uh, well, anyway, this week our uh, guests, plural, decided to watch A Fish Called Wanda. How, how does that movie go, Jessica? Well, as you said, it came out in 1988, and officially it's an American-British uh, heist comedy, but I feel like the heist is really kind of a background as a second note right, uh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, you have a woman named Wanda. Also a fish, but don't worry about that part just yet. A woman named Wanda, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, a man named Otto, who's supposedly the weapons expert, (laughs) played by Kevin (laughs) Klein, who's a little bit crazy. You have kind of a stuttering... I actually don't really know what his role was. Uh, I think he owned the safe house, basically. Got it. Okay. But yeah, a stuttering guy, um, played by um, Michael Palin. And then there's kind of the gang leader, whose name is George. And I have no idea who that actor is. Do you you know? Uh, I will look it up and let you know. Okay. Because he didn't seem to have a whole lot of importance. But the point is, there's a heist in the beginning. And then the whole rest of the movie is just uh, a lot of double crossing, seeing who can double cross who to get the jewels and get out of the country. And of course, hilarity ensues because it's written by, by John Cleese. Please, <laughs> as it were. Uh, I can't find. His I couldn't name is either. George? That's oh. why I gave it up. <laughs> oh, his George name Thomas. is Tom. <laughs> George Thomas. Look at you. Yeah. Play- George Thomas and played by Tom Georgeson. That is that is true. It's <laughs> totally not in Wikipedia. <laughs> Interesting. In IMDb, he shows up as a blank picture. So. Oh, okay. So he's clearly very. I was going to say, I thought maybe he was just this like really respected British actor that we don't know as Americans, but no, he doesn't even get an IMDb picture. And that first voice was uh, one of our guests, a uh, good friend of mine from back in elementary school, even and going forward, uh, Dan Hess. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Glad to be here. And coming in from the other room (laughs) (laughs) is uh, his wife and also a good friend since high school, actually, I think is when I met you, Uh, Michelle Griffiths. So I should, sorry, should I say Michelle Griffiths or is it Michelle Griffiths Hetz or? Just Michelle Hess is fine. Okay. That's legally my name now, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, this is your chance to. Uh... She sounds really excited about that. I'm sorry for you, Dan. <laughs> I went from one name that was really hard to spell over the phone to another name that's very hard to spell over the phone. So it doesn't matter. It's a lateral move. <laughs> Generally, we ask the guests uh, to pick a movie. Is there any particular reason you two chose this movie? I don't know. We We kind of went through the list and wrote down a bunch of them that Oh, wait, wait, You wrote down a bunch of them. I wrote down a bunch of them that I knew I hadn't seen yet. And then I basically passed it over to her to be like, are there any of these that you absolutely don't want to watch? Uh, And I think pretty quickly, though, we settled on a fish called Wanda. I think we both like Monty Python stuff. And we we both knew, I think, that John Cleese and 
uh, Michael Palin were in that. So it was, you know, I think it, it had the Python connection right off the bat. Uh, it's been on my list to watch like forever. I don't know why I haven't watched it till now. Uh, I think it's one of those where it, some part of my brain was always like, ah, it's, you know, it's got a couple of Pythons in it, but I didn't think it was actually written or directed by any Pythons. So it's probably closer to like a crappy Chevy Chase movie that somehow, you know, maybe hasn't <laughs> aged well, or uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I had all these misconceptions, but definitely in like the opening credit sequence, because I didn't do any research ahead of time. I wanted to go in blind. I was like, holy crap, it is written by a Python. I did not realize. <laughs> yeah, we both commented on that when we saw the opening <laughs> credits. We were like, oh, okay, good to know. I did write down, though, uh, one of my first notes, the first five seconds felt very Python, like just right out of the 20th Century Fox thing or whatever the, the MGM was. MGM went right from that, the first, like, couple of shots just for some reason felt like the start of a scene from flying circus or something oh right (laughs) i think initially the first four shots were just introducing each character for about three seconds or something they each get one line and you're supposed to kind of figure out who they are like there's the barrister (laughs) and then there's the assassin and then jamie lee curtis doing her reconnaissance and then was it oh just michael palin feeding a fish well, I liked, you know, Kevin Kevin Klein, yeah, with the, like, reading Nietzsche and, like, you know, immediately shoots, what does he shoot, the alarm clock? Yeah, something across the room right. that he definitely yeah. doesn't want, doesn't want to be there. But, yeah, I guess initially my thought for Kevin Klein was that, oh, he's reading Nietzsche. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe this, he's going to be, like, a smart <laughs> assassin. <laughs> like, I thought maybe there'd be a hint in that first scene that he was kind of dumb. I don't know. Maybe it's setting it up, like... I don't know, at least initially, the first, like, couple seconds is, like, what he wants you to think he is. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and I then, think that's definitely it, more of it. And then it erodes away very quickly. Right. I mean, maybe that's kind of true for all of those characters, right? Yeah, I suppose, because the barrister was winning a case, and Michael Palin character was, you know, taking care of his fish all lovingly. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Real and friend of the animals. wasn't stuttering at first, either. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. When he was feeding the fish. So yeah, that's something I didn't think about. Like maybe there was, I guess, some point to the introduction of those characters in a way that wasn't their real selves. Yeah. Because we kind of get that as we go through the movie, right? Mm -hmm. All of these characters kind of reveal themselves to be not exactly what we think at first that they are. Yeah. I definitely think the first shocking thing that I saw was when Michael Palin was feeding that fish. Because I definitely thought A Fish Called Wanda was just, you know, a, a figurative reference to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. So when he addressed his fish as Wanda, I was like, what? There is a fish named Wanda. <laughs> and then it wasn't about that fish named Wanda, though. <laughs> <laughs> had nothing to do with that fish, actually. And did any of the other fish have names? No, I don't think so. I think it was just that one. Yeah, it was. I thought that was weird. And there was the green one, right? Well, yes, but it doesn't taste good. So <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that one. <laughs> I read a, a thing on, I think, IMDb or one of those, that apparently the fish during the... The scene where he was eating them all were actually made of jello. Oh, it made good. me feel better about it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really gross until then. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was pretty gross. So it's I about 10 minutes in, I guess, we get into the actual heist, which it doesn't 
you know, as you were saying, Jessica, it's not really a significant part of the film. It's really just a setup. I was going to say, they, they show the heist itself for, I don't even know if it's more than a minute or two whole minutes. Um, and so you have this this kind of quick heist. Clearly, it's organized. They go in. They're immediately successful. You don't, like I said, they don't dwell on it. So it's just boom, boom, boom. We have all these diamonds. And uh, they, they hustle out of there. And you can show that there was some planning involved. They bother to show that they, you know, had a getaway car. And Jamie Lee Curtis is dressed as a man and the, and oh, the driver. Right. And they hop in there and they speed off and then switch cars. And she changes back into female clothing. And they take off in a different vehicle. And um, Michael Palin's character, uh, Ken. Um, he hops on a bike, I think, to dispose of like the the gear that they used during the heist. Oh, that's what that was. I think yeah. that's what the, that's, that was a guess. Uh, and, initially, I thought it was the diamonds. It's like he threw the diamonds in a garbage truck. Is he going to go <laughs> yeah. pick them up later? And then it wasn't addressed. Um, but of course, in the process of getting away, they almost hit this little old lady walking these three stupid little dogs. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she's so taken aback and makes very obvious eye contact with the gang leader and so enough that she remembers him and obviously that's a significant plot point going forward right yeah so george gets taken by the police because kevin klein calls him in yeah that's right yeah Mm -hmm. so one of the things about this movie is it's sometimes kind of hard to describe all like back and forths of the plot but i never felt like as i was watching it that i didn't understand what was going on yeah which i think was (laughs) an impressive point of the script is that you know, you kind of knew how all of these characters were playing off each other, but at least I didn't get too confused, except, I guess, the diamonds part. <laughs> they threw the diamonds in the garbage truck. So speaking of getting confused, I, uh, I did have one side tangent that I was going to mention. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so going, jumping into the Wayback Machine, uh, as Charlie mentioned earlier, we've known each other for years and years and years. And I had to look this up back in 1993. We went and saw what I, or what I assume was Charlie's 11th birthday. We went and saw Last Action Hero. <laughs> and I think it was Charlie's 11th birthday because it came out on June 18, 1993. Yeah, so, you're right. Because I remember it was a whole bunch of us uh, in a van going to and from. <laughs> and I remember Char- an 11-year-old Charlie Wallace going and seeing that movie. And the entire ride home, he was trying to pick apart the plot holes <laughs> that were associated with like interdimensional travel between <laughs> the movie world and the real world and the paradoxes that that created. And he couldn't re- get around like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And we kept saying, Charlie, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. For <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Cause I remember, I definitely remember that and being very, very excited about seeing that movie and inviting everybody to go see it with me. I don't know why that sticks in my head, but I distinctly remember that Charlie Wallace moment of just... All that says to me is that you've been a dork for, you know, ever. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't grow into it. (laughs) You you come by it honestly. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, well, before we get too far into it, I also sure. want to point out that I think, um, so they, they, you know, they have the diamonds right away. It's really easy. And then they have, they go out of their way to, to point out that they can't go anywhere for 72 hours because oh, right. the police are going to be watching the airports or something like that. Right. So that's why none of them have split town. Like it gives a reason for why they all hang oh, out. I missed that. And double cross I, I remember them saying that Yeah. now that, now that you mention it, but I completely didn't even think about that yeah that must i i remember that now too because you're like you 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 did it like it's done so why hang out for a while like you put (laughs) you have to celebrate yeah yeah 
Uh, Michelle, were you saying that there was any uh, inconsistencies that you noticed? There was a scene when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Klein are in the car and she's putting on lipstick and they make a big show of her putting on lipstick. And she gets into the next scene where she's meeting with John Cleese and she has a different color lipstick on and it drove oh. me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice You're that. no longer she on board with it the out movie. while we were watching it too. And then I noticed it. It was like, wow, that's like... Not even close. It, it changes with her mood. Duh. No, I have no idea. <laughs> it's the 80s. Who knows? <laughs> so my wife, Kara, was watching with me. And it was funny because there was a scene for her where she doesn't like to hear people chewing. Oh, yeah. Like in real life, if they're you know mm-hmm. too close to her, they're way too I loud. I noticed the scene myself. Stuff. Yep. <laughs> but where Kevin, Kevin Klein is eating the uh, chips. The chips. Oh my gosh, it's awful. She basically had to leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest of the fish scene was not much better. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I didn't have to leave the room, but I was like, oh, oh gosh, stop with the chewing. Please, please stop with the chewing. <laughs> and I think it was on purpose just to kind of show how really obnoxious yeah, she I guess is. So. Like, yeah. I don't think it was accidental. Whereas, say, you know, a good uh, Hunt for an October scene with uh, Sean Connery eating and he's like smacking and like whatever while he's chewing that i think is just sean connery <laughs> i don't think that was done as part of the script <laughs> that feels real to you it feels very real to me <laughs> yes <laughs> i think just in general i mean so that you have these characters you have um so you have have the four major players and i feel like they they definitely give them a a primary or a dominant personality trait mm-hmm. so like jamie lee curtis you see that she very much is willing to use like her body and her sexuality to leverage whatever it is that she wants. Right. And Kevin Klein is extremely physical and angry and crazy. And, and Michael Palin's character is is sympathetic towards animals and not he's more timid, you know what I'm saying? He right. holds back. He can he he's like the only person who actually really achieves violent acts yeah. <laughs> throughout the movie. But, but it doesn't it's like he's reluctant. Um so I feel like there's the, like all of these characters um kind of have these traits and with the John Cleese character like he wants, you know, you can tell that he he's successful and he he does these things and he wants someone to notice and someone to care. Um and so he kind of comes more and more out of his shell as he gets attention from the uh, Jamie right. Curtis character. Yeah. So I feel like they they kind of do this little like, I don't know, they bin them into these nice little bins of like, this is what kind of character they're going to be. But it obviously unravels and gets crazier as it goes on. I think they did a good job of establishing those types of characters early on because the rest of the movie just seemed like, I mean, it, it had a good pace and I enjoyed all of the scenes, but every scene seemed like, oh, it's this character and this character. Now it's this character and this other character. So, I mean, they kind of Pairs. had a lot of possibilities for just putting these two people in the scene and seeing what they're going to gonna do with each other. Yeah. Do you think that has anything to do with uh, John Cleese's past and, and history as a sketch writer? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Putting three characters into scenes together and, and seeing what happens. So I was thinking about the script for this movie, too, and I was wondering... Like, how well do you think this movie would work if they didn't have the exact actors that they chose? If you didn't have Kevin Klein or John Cleese or, or any of these a- specific actors, do you think this movie would have worked? Do you think this movie would have been So boring? I do think so, to the extent uh, that some of the notes that I actually took as I was watching it, I think you could have gotten rid of a couple of actors and, like, Michael Palin could have played, like, three or four different characters. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, uh-huh. right off the bat... The first time they showed George Thomason or whatever. Yeah, the heist leader. Yep. 
for a second, I almost thought it was Michael Palin playing like a, a hoity-toity, you know, English guy. Because I'm certain he's played that before. And uh, like later on when he's in the, uh, uh, when he was impersonating the cab driver with the dreadlocks, he looked exactly <laughs> oh, like yeah. Terry Gilliam from Meaning of Life when he's the organ donor. It may have oh, even been yeah. the same costume. I don't know. But, <laughs> but he, it looked very Terry Gilliam. The dog lady could have been played by Terry Jones. Um, maybe I just had Monty Python. In my, yeah, this just should have been a Monty like Python I, movie. I yeah, Python characters and all these these very over the top characters. Yeah, they're very over the top. They're very, you know, like I said, they have a, some type of a kind of a very defining kind of goofy trait, and so it feels very much like it's written by somebody who has a background in sketch. Yes, comedy yes. writing. You know what I'm saying? So you have that. Right. So I think the movie wouldn't have done as well if you didn't have people who have that in their background as the actors. I don't know. I mean. John Cleese is, is himself. You know, he's just goofy. Right. And can yeah. Do a I lot mean, of he's ridiculous not stretching things. a lot. Yeah. He's yeah. not stretching. He's he's him. Yeah. He's what you expect from that performance. Um, And Kevin Klein, well, I, I wouldn't say that he obviously has sketch comedy in the background, but I mean, definitely kind of comedic and goofy roles and things like that. Um, And so I feel like this, it suited these right. characters to be over the top and kind of goofy. But you think it still would have worked? Like, if you had chose, you still could have found. F- Four separate actors than the ones they chose. And then do you think it still would have worked? I mean, maybe Dan's right. Maybe it could have like, like different uh, Monty Python. Yeah, it was, it was almost a Python movie without all the Pythons. <laughs> <in some respect>. <laughs> <laughs> like with, with an actual entire cast instead of the same few people playing everything. But. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I guess, what do you think about the whole American versus English aspect of this movie? <laughs> Do you think that was put in because of the actors they chose or because that was always intended to be part of the... That's a good question because I kind of wondered that as well. You know, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis was a pretty big name at this point. So getting her to do something like this would have been a big box office pull. But I don't remember, was Kevin Klein a very big name at that point or was this kind of what launched him into a bigger name? I don't know if Sophie's Choice had come out yet. Or, oh, I, oh, think I think it would have. Chill, I think the build, Big Chill might have been out too. But Yeah, that's true. I think it it could have definitely been written with British actors in mind and then just changed. I was also wondering how much was ad-libbed on set anyway with all of the craziness that Kevin Klein's character does throughout the movie if some of those things were just added and then continued through the script or if it was part of Cleese's plan all the way along. Yeah, that's a good point. I I couldn't tell the seams between what was scripted and what was improvised because there was both in mm-hmm. there. I Definitely. mean, it's there, but I think the actors did a good job of just transitioning one thing into the other. I, I just did look it up, and Sophie's Choice came out in 1982, and The Big Chill came out in 1983. So, um, so yeah, several yeah, he years. definitely would yeah. have been would have been a name by by the time this movie was released. But it I was think it's um, still ten years before Wild Wild West. However, <laughs> well, so I don't I don't know why you're bringing that up, Charlie. <laughs> why? What are you doing? <laughs> That's my favorite role of his. Jeez. <laughs> I um I was just going to say that I think that it I don't know that it matters so much if they were it, like you said if it was intentionally put in the American versus British I think once you kind of like whether or not you did it before the actors or not it did give a great reason for the auto character to just have like a baseline level of animosity all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I I got to think there's some aspect of it going in just because of the sheer volume of jokes or that had to do with him either Berating the, the berating English. the English culture or just screwing up like 
you notice every time he pulled out of uh, a parking spot with his car, he drove on the wrong side of the road and then yelled asshole at the other person <laughs> yes. like, yeah, every and- single time. It was like <laughs> a recurring joke. Clockwork. One of the uh, quotes that I wrote down was uh, they get rigor mortis in the prime of life in this country. <laughs> 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 and later on, you see John Cleese himself complaining about the English. And uh, I think he was talking about why everybody's so uptight and afraid to, to say anything to each other in that country. And he says, asking someone if they have any children and finding out they all burned to death on Wednesday. <laughs> 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 That would be the worst thing possible. <laughs> and so, therefore, you just don't even say anything because you know, of this extreme case. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. I feel that way sometimes <laughs> when I talk with people. <laughs> Car had noticed that Kevin Klein also has a vehicle that has the uh, driver's side on the left, whereas everyone else has the English cars. I don't know. Did he... oh, I didn't notice I that. Didn't notice it. Uh, I, I guess I doubt he would have imported it, but like he's gone out of his way to, <laughs> specifically to get a vehicle where he can drive on the side that he wants to. I could, yeah, no, that makes sense actually for his crazy character. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely want to give a shout out with um with his role or whatever. I think he was did a lot with facial expressions uh, in this role. I think more so than any of the other characters. Where I mean, he's got these crazy eyes, like. <laughs> multiple yep. occasions where you're just like this this guy's not stable i mean pretty early in the movie you're like yeah. i do have a clip of um him talking with michael palin so this is the basically the introduction of the two characters to each other and they're talking in front of a fish tank which features prominently later <laughs> in the movie you really like animals don't you ken what's the attraction because you can t- trust them and they don't on you show off all the time you know what nietzsche said about them he said they were god's second blunder bye sis well you tell him from me but i can i can show him bye george so (laughs) i i didn't look it up but like that's probably not nietzsche right i assume that that's wrong or did is that actually (laughs) i didn't look it up that's gotta be wrong right (laughs) because occasionally he says stuff like that and they're like is that right Am I supposed to know Nietzsche well enough to know that that's wrong? <laughs> well, speaking of looking those things up that he says, later on we find out that Wanda did look things up, presumably in uh, uh, old-fashioned encyclopedia or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, she wouldn't have had Wikipedia, but, uh, and calls him out on a bunch of the things. That, Which that, uh, I actually have that clip, too. And uh, the part about that I love, well, I'll, I'll say it afterward. Don't call me stupid. Right to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. I've known sheep that could outwit you. I've worn dresses with higher IQs, but you think you're an intellectual, don't you, ape? Apes don't read philosophy. Yes, they do, Otto. They just don't understand it. Now, let me correct you on a couple things, okay? Aristotle was not Belgian. The central message of Buddhism is not every man for himself. Read- and the London Underground is not a political movement. Those are all mistakes, Otto. I looked them up. <laughs> so, I, th- I thought the greatest part about that was that it's already a reasonably funny scene, but either Jamie Lee Curtis or I guess maybe the script kind of pulls it back towards her, saying that she had to look it up, at least. Right. <laughs> she didn't just automatically know that those were things were wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I did notice that, that, that 
she made a point to say, I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) I I verified my sources. (laughs) The World Book Encyclopedia says you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that is one of the central aspects of his characters. He just will not let anyone call him stupid. He's called stupid maybe three or four times in the movie. And every time he He either makes a big deal or looks like he's about to make a huge deal out of it. You know, he's definitely got this complex where he feels the need to to be superior to everyone. Well, and you can tell he actually believes he believes that he's smarter. And so he definitely thinks that he could, you know, beat up anybody or, you know, outwit and all of that. He believes it. Whereas some in other movies, you might have characters who are like this and it's it's compensating. It's like overcompensating where they right. think they're stupid. And so they're trying to sound smart in front of others. That's not what's happening here. Like he definitely <laughs> has this swagger and believes it. For me, Kevin Klein is the highlight of oh, the yeah. movie. I mean, everyone oh, else does like... an amazing job, but he actually won he Best won Actor Oscar. in 1989, yeah. Best Supporting Actor for this, which surprised me initially. Cara and I were talking about it, and we're like, usually you would think with a role like this, like a comedic role, it would be harder to win an Oscar. And we looked at the other contenders for that year, and it's you know some pretty heavy hitters, but... I was very hard for me when I was going through collecting clips for this not to have every single clip be Kevin Klein. Yeah, that's saying what I'm saying. It was, it was a well written, a well written role. That's really tough to say fast. Um, a well written role, and he does it so well. I mean, he's very physically committed yeah. to this character. Like I said, with facial expressions and his changes in his voice, and like throwing him his body around quite a bit in a lot of the a lot of the scenes. And so I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like he earned it. <laughs> he definitely earned it because I. I went in, uh, you know, again, just with, with initial impressions, you've got John Cleese and Michael Palin, you know, starring in it. I assumed they were going to be the comedic powerhouse. Right. And Kevin Klein stole the show. He was by far the funniest character in the movie. I almost don't want to say that, too, because everyone else did such a fantastic job. If it had, if he, Kevin Klein had not been there, then we would be saying something similar about someone else. Like, I yeah. thought Jamie Lee Curtis was sure. amazing in this, too. Right? I mean, she's got that character flaw or strength or whatever about being able to make men do whatever she wants and i don't know i think she plays that really well and every i think the trivia i read no i think this is true i think she kisses every male character in in the movie at some point you know i think you're right (laughs) i'm thinking through it right now yeah because i mean it opens up and and you think she's with george and then you realize that she's also with otto but they're double crossing george and then at some point when she finds out is it is it when she finds out that ken knows where the jewels are that she kisses i think so i think she jumps up into his arms or something like that yeah and then of course she she hits on and and eventually runs away with john cleese's character because you know she's first trying to get information out of him yeah so yeah i think she does and speaking of that did he name the fish wanda after her no one says that, but I yeah, it's I never got, clear. I got the impression that he had a crush on her. That's that what was I my too. feeling anyway. Yeah, but it's not played up very much. You would think that that would come up later that you know he will do anything for her because he's has such puppy love for her. But one thing I did notice was that he never calls the fish Wanda in front of Jamie Lee Curtis as Wanda. Oh, that's true. That could be indicative of something. Definitely. I hadn't realized that, but you're right. He, yeah, it's really pretty much when he's by himself. And then I think when Kevin Klein eats the fish, he says, no, <laughs> not Wanda. It, yep. But I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that one definitely seemed to bother him even more than all the other fish. Being. 
<laughs> well, that's when he breaks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, did it bother anybody else that those fries had ketchup on them? Oh, yes. Yeah. Going up in his nose. They had ketchup on them. And as soon as he pulls them out because he puts the lime or whatever in uh, Michael Palin's mouth, Michael Palin immediately inhales as hard as he can to breathe. And I'm like, oh, my God, he just got ketchup in his lungs. Like, probably. This is, they're like coating his sinuses. <laughs> it's coating his sinuses right now. <laughs> so and then while we're talking about that scene, there was another piece of trivia I read uh, Apparently, there was a man who actually watched that watched that scene in the movie and died of a heart attack because he laughed. I read so hard. that same thing. Yeah, I don't know whether that's a sort of one of those weird, I guess, urban myths, but that I don't know. This random stuff I read kept saying like, "No, we got confirmation from his son that that's actually how he died." And like laughing at that particular scene, laughing at that particular scene. I mean, yeah. it's the funny, chips up but the nose. I don't know that it's like you know I'm gonna die laughing funny to somebody. To somebody, it was that <laughs> struck a nerve. We all have that scene in some movie at some time. <laughs> Which one's gonna get us? We just haven't, Fine. We just haven't watched it yet. <laughs> is that how you want to go, Charlie? <laughs> I think so, yeah. There's worse ways than that. Uh, true. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that we haven't really talked about, I guess it's kind of at least a, a something that moves the plot forward, is this idea that with all the double crossing, that the diamonds they chucked in this safe in the beginning, and so they're almost immediately moved by the gang leader or whatever, by the George character, and so you don't know where they are. But you know that he's put them someplace that requires a key. And then relatively soon we found out it's a safety deposit key. And so I feel like the traveling of that key is definitely a big a big plot point. Right, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, the key is first hidden by Ken, by the Michael Palin character, in the fish food at first. Yep. And then it gets hidden in the little little treasure chest, treasure chest yeah. that's in the fish tank, but almost immediately stolen then by Jamie Lee Curtis and put in her locket. And then the locket, of course, like falls off and gets stolen by <laughs> John Cleese his wife and i mean there's like there's a whole path there right and then once she gets it back it just stays in her possession and it totally gets used i was like oh you kind of dropped away from that (laughs) like oh yeah you wanted the key to keep moving yeah or or something you know like maybe she'd get the locket back and the key wouldn't be in it like it fell out someplace oh yeah but no it was pretty simple after that (laughs) i definitely kind of kept waiting for the key to somehow make its way back to the fish tank and end up getting by me too yeah. that's totally oh, yeah. what or i they was would waiting find, for yeah. <laughs> or yeah it was in wanda and then kevin klein right. eats wanda yes. and then it's in the stomach <laughs> that's exactly what i was waiting we for. need to do a, a remake of this movie that just goes farther <laughs> two and a half hours <laughs> the key just keeps moving <laughs> just get rid of all that pesky italian and yeah <laughs> oh yeah which was probably some of the best pieces of the movie, but well, I just liked like I think at first when he first starts speaking Italian, you're like, okay, he's just like speaking Italian. But then as the movie progresses, and then and then also when Russian gets introduced, they like run out of Italian right. and Russian words that they know because I don't think yes. either of them knew the language, but they knew how to do an. They both knew how to do an accent, accent. so they just had to pick words that they already knew. And it was like mozzarella, and like you're like what? Yes. <laughs> and then said Benito Mussolini with underwear. No, it's glass nosed. I think exactly. he said at one point. And then, and then at the very end, yeah, he's like, you know, Dostoevsky, and you're like, good one. <laughs> So I I do have a clip also of Kevin Klein speaking Italian and its effect on Jamie Lee. Make the call. <laughs> no. Eventually. No Italian. 
Assolutamente, sì. My name is Otto, it means eight. Se arrivederci a Giorgio. Goodbye, George. Ah, yes, I wonder if you could put me through to the police, Otto. per favore. Ah! Yes, hello. Um, sorry to trouble you, but I thought... Just foods. Oh, yeah, just foods, right? <laughs> That's what basically when he ran out of things to say, he started saying foods. I guess in that scene, or in those scenes... Uh, Kevin Klein requested to speak French because he actually knew French, and John Cleese wouldn't let him. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, nope, it's going to be Italian. That's really funny. I wonder why. And then he why. started to run. He definitely started running out of things to say. <laughs> it's definitely funnier when he's just listing random, <laughs> like reading a menu. You know, <laughs> that's pretty funny. If I like it. Saying real things that wouldn't have been as funny. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And I liked that then they continued it when they switched to Russian. And I like how they never really explain the Jamie Lee Curtis's character, like the effect that like these couple of languages have. Because, you know, specifically the Italian like makes her crazy. Like she's really into it. Right. And then later on, um, the John Cleese character speaking Italian and she's all into it. And then he's like, oh, but that language is awful or it sounds terrible. Or I don't remember what he says, but he yeah. like, dismisses it and then starts speaking Russian and she goes bigger. And I don't, I, I get the impression that she didn't know that Russian was going to be even better. Like, this is a surprise to her, too. I think it was just the two languages. Oh, he knows two languages. I don't know. It was really just bizarre and, I don't know, she, unexplained. She likes languages and money. <laughs> yes, money is very important. As though Russian Sounds about is, right. <laughs> as though Russian is this, uh, you know, really romantic language. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> It just rolls off the tongue. It doesn't have any harsh sounds. <laughs> so I, I guess one of the questions I wanted to bring up, how much did you buy the romance between John Cleese and Jamie Lee Curtis? As actors, oh, I think it was very good. But from a story standpoint, it, there was nothing to it. I, I, I definitely believe that he, um, you can see that he's completely ignored by both his wife and his daughter. He wants the attention. So I believe that he definitely responds to the attention he gets from Wanda. I'd forgotten how much I loved this movie because it's been so long since I've seen it. Mm -hmm. And this was the scene that kind of broke me and I started laughing and didn't really stop to the end of it. It was just John Cleese in this particular scene where he's talking with his wife. Had a good day? I spend the morning trying to get the waste disposal man to come, have lunch with Marjorie Brooks, who takes up the entire meal complaining about her husband. Then I have to play three rubbers with Philippa Hunter. And I come back here and Sanderson's have sent the wrong flowers. Oh, no. Would you like some tea? Yes. I won the case. This is the first moment I've had to myself all day. Uh, just the way he says, oh, no, and there's a huge pause after it. <laughs> he says it in a way that says so much. Like, you know that he doesn't care, but he's trying to pretend <laughs> like he cares, but wants to change the subject at the same time. Just with those two words. <laughs> And the look on, his, on the look on his face, like I, I don't, know, I bust out laughing at that. I mean, just like the oh no and pause, yeah. You have a married couple as guests this week, so maybe this is not the best <laughs> course of, of discussion because we both do that to each other every day. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Now I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, I think that's another thing about this, too, is like their marriage isn't great. They're kind of both ignoring each other, but it's still a marriage. It feels like the story and the movie want us to say, you know, oh, well, screw it. Like that marriage isn't worth saving. And, you know, it's okay that John Cleese goes off with Jamie Lee Curtis, right? They don't spend a lot of time on it, mostly because I think comedy movie, they're like, oh, we can just tell you that this is... This is the state of the marriage and you just are going to take our word for yeah. it. But, I mean, she pretty much ignores him. She definitely only complains. His daughter seems to completely ignore him and only be really self-involved and, and pretty shallow. Which, uh, is, is she his actual daughter in real life? Yes. The actress? Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's what I thought. So, you know, all of a sudden, the you know, the Wanda character comes in and, I mean, she's, we as the audience know that she's clearly just trying to manipulate him, but just lavishes tons of attention on him. So, of course, he's just going to eat that up. And so I think his reaction is is somewhat genuine. But then I think for the Wanda character, you can see very much so that she's not into George, like the gang leader. Right. And you can see very clearly that she's not into Kevin Klein, except unless right. he's fake speaking Italian. And... <laughs> But with the with the John Cleese character, I think as it progresses, like she actually does soften a little bit. There are moments. So I don't think it's like sell me, sell me on this relationship, right. but it's more so than the others, I guess. Right. Um, I was also going to point out that the the married as the married couple, like the cold British married couple that they totally have separate beds. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the most like romantic, disgusting scene. I love how they play the like Wanda with Kevin Klein, which is just creepy as sex scene ever. <laughs> um, w- like interleaving that with like John Cleese, like clipping his toenails yes. and his wife, like <laughs> right. undressing into her like nightgown. It's just really, yeah, the <laughs> like, juxtaposition and taking is really her gross. Yeah. underwear off. But doing it in such a way that he wouldn't see her do it. Right. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> so to bring up Kara and she was watching that scene and there were two things she didn't like about that. <laughs> One was the part where Kevin Klein sniffed his own armpit. Yes, repeatedly. She almost had to leave the room for that. But then, it, yeah, then it transitioned to the other scene where John Cleese was cutting his toenails yes. and like cutting off the side like the skin on the side the of his foot like the callus on his foot it was so there were so gross. many parts where oh. she almost had to leave <laughs> I, I i am very much anti-feet and so i'm like ew ew why are you showing that like oh my gosh <laughs> I, I have to say that kevin klein like the facial expressions and the ridiculousness of like the sex scene with jamie lee curtis is just oh yeah it's so over the top the, the first time i saw this movie i was probably like 12 or 13 or something like that so mm-hmm. pretty young so i don't know if i quite knew at that point how ridiculous that <laughs> sex scene was Poor like, Cara. yeah well no like underneath the cover is like he's getting such like a lead up yes. i guess yes. <laughs> he's like of... leaping in the air yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the most ridiculous thing he could have possibly done yeah and then the facial expressions are just at the end of whatever it's just oh my gosh i was just like it's like you're cringing but finding it funny at the same time you're like oh gosh it's so bad that it's funny stop it (laughs) and he's sniffing his armpits during that scene but then he does it later too yep when when did, what was the other scene that he sniffed his armpits like it was out of like under his trench coat or something yep like he pulls his coat off and it's a huge whip of his arm. <laughs> <laughs> and was that supposed to be like 
that that was like a sexual experience for him, whatever was going on at that point. Like it was so weird. Like a confidence builder for him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He, right. he needed that little extra boost. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't remember what um, it was. Yeah. With the sniffing too, when he pulls her boot off and he puts his whole face in it and breathes <laughs> in and out so hard that he like inflates the boot and then like sucks it all back in. And you're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> is this, is this supposed to be seductive? <laughs> I hope that if you go back and watch the uh, the reel that played at the Academy Awards, that that was the scene <laughs> that they played. <laughs> that would be that would be ideal. I think. I really liked um, the the setup because, like you said, everybody kind of works in pairs, like throughout the movie. Right. And so, I really liked the the scenes that did have Kevin Klein and John Cleese in them. I felt like their interactions because it was um, like there's a lot of like misunderstandings or accidental violence like repeatedly throughout (laughs) and i thought that was really fun i think my favorite scene overall was the one between john cleese and kevin klein when jamie lee curtis and john cleese are at his house together and his wife ends up coming home so kevin klein comes in and you know kind of quote unquote saves the day but in the most ridiculous way (laughs) possible by saying he's with the cia so I have the tail end of that scene as as well. I want to, again, it's one of these things where you want to play the whole thing, but you have to cut <laughs> it off somewhere. Don't call me stupid. Why not not? Oh, you English are so superior, aren't you? Well, would you like to know where you'd be without us, the old U.S. of A, to protect you? I'll tell you, the smallest province in the russian empire that's what so don't call me stupid lady just thank me well thank you for popping in and protecting us if it wasn't for us you'd all be speaking german singing deutschland deutschland what i thought you were going to play was uh him claiming to be a cia operative and telling her that the reason he's there is that they're questioning a kgb spy or something down the road and they're just debriefing all the neighbors remotely and she calls them out on that well and i love that he he toggles from saying they'd be uh like a russian you know colony or something like that whatever and then switches to german and then switches you know what i'm saying yeah, like he, yeah. he just kind of keeps going with his rant uh the actress who plays john cleese's wife does a great job here because up until this point, you're kind of like, oh, she doesn't pay attention to him, right? And that's really, mm-hmm. you know, her... That's her role. That's yeah, that's her, her role in this mm-hmm. movie. But she actually gets a really good dig in at him saying like, well, turns out I know a lot about these things. And like, he made up a name for himself, like Alfred Mengenson. Oh, yeah. And she says it <laughs> oh, back. Yes, yes, he, he, can't, <laughs> he can't even pronounce it when he says it. He makes up some nonsense. And then she pronounces it back to him perfectly. Perfectly. And it's just so much like disdain. Like four or five lines the dialogue later yeah, yeah. <laughs> well thank you very much mr mustin jin jensen like whatever like, <laughs> but i just I, I really liked kind of everything about her like her facial expressions she you know it's it's like to, at least for me being an american like this quintessential like disapproving disappointed british woman where her eyes are kind of you know her lids are at like half mast like she's just barely can tolerate even listening to you like you're clearly beneath her and stupid and it just it works i don't know right. like she just looks haughty and like oh please and of course she has to meet kevin klein at some point right yes yeah it's perfect i really liked it and, and while i do think that uh, i agree she was you know kind of perfect for that part i did note that uh, that 
role could have been played by Michael Palin. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> One of the other things that I was going to mention, Kevin Klein and uh, the Ken character, when in, in like kind of a last-ditch attempt to try and justify why he was there in his apartment, he uh, pretended that he was actually had the hots for him and wanted, you know, started hitting on him. And typically when you go back and watch a movie from like the seventies or eighties, it's almost alarming, like how offensive uh, homosexuals, you know, are are portrayed or talked about. I mean, like if you go back and watch like, you know, the original slap shot with Paul Newman, it's like jarring. Yeah. Like, you know, you can be watching it at home alone and you'll find yourself turning it down because you're like, Jesus, you can't say that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or, or, you know, over the top flamboyance, you know, of of characters and the way that in complete 180 degree opposite in this, he plays it like, you know, no flamboyance, no femininity, like it's, it's completely like a straight lace. Yeah. Portrayal. I don't know. I just, it, it struck me as like surprisingly progressive of you know the way that they right. uh, portrayed that that archetype kind of right. yeah well and 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 same thing with the reaction that the ken character has to it is it i mean he he's clearly not interested like he himself is not a homosexual so he doesn't want you know like kevin klein's advances but he doesn't like he's polite well, <laughs> you know what i mean the, actually, right. <laughs> the very last thing he does say though is that he suggests so he uses the word buggering and he suggests oh. that that's worse than killing a woman that's actually the <laughs> very last thing he says really that's yes true. That's true. well it yeah it's like a throwaway it's like the very end like as ken's running away i think yeah. the second time that kevin klein like, yeah oh, okay. so you're right that. i agree it's completely actually pretty refreshing up until that point michael palin saying that one thing but i agree with you too jessica like he doesn't play it off like he's super like disgusted or offended but there's that that one line where i don't know if you could Mm -hmm. take out one second of definitely uncomfortable that second yes he is uncomfortable yeah but that's true yeah he always is right (laughs) he's pretty much is yeah he's uncomfortable around kevin klein no matter what (laughs) (laughs) Right, right which brings up one last thing that I wanted to talk about, which is the thing that did a little bit concern me, my sensibilities, I suppose, a little bit was Michael Palin's uh, stuttering. And the question I had for myself as I was watching was, is this like an over the top like portrayal of stuttering? Are people actually going to get offended? Like, especially now, like looking back at it, like, oh, you know, this is a serious issue that people have. Right. So I looked it up later. Mm hmm. And apparently he based it on his father who had like a stammering problem. Mm, mm-hmm. So he said he would play different scenes differently based on how comfortable the character of Ken was in the situation that he would stutter less in situations where, you know, he was at ease, like when he was talking to fish at the very beginning. And the more that Kevin Klein was in his uh, face in and- the picture, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like the less he was able to say. And then additionally, this like kind of blew my mind is that in, in 1993, they created a Michael Palin Center for Stammering in the UK. They actually what? asked if he could use his name for it to really? like help kids who stammered. Yep. Huh. So it's actually like a cause that he's actually, you know, he's involved. With, he's involved right? in, huh. now, especially now yeah. after the movie. 
That's really interesting because I guess I I guess I didn't think about it too hard because I feel like that's done and especially in movies, you know, right. in the 70s and yeah. 80s and things like that, where it's like, it's not like we were being politically correct and sensitive to, to these things. But I felt like in this one, it was almost redemptive that they made it very psychosomatic. Like at the end, like he runs over Kevin Klein with the steamroller and then he's like, my stutter's gone. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I can speak now and like yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was kind of silly. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was silly, yeah. and but it was, I don't know, it was kind of fun. Speaking of uh, the, those final scenes where he wasn't stuttering anymore, one of the funniest uh, things I thought in the whole movie was when he was slowly rolling at him in the steamroller, oh, screaming yeah. revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Like at just, one mile per hour. <laughs> it was so great. Because at first, I, I didn't realize they were going to do the cement bit, obviously. And so right. you're like, you know, and that felt very Python, you know, yeah. silly, like goofy thing to do. And he's like, you know, so he's insulting him and laughing at him, you know, you know, just mocking Ken. And then he's like, okay, hey, Ken. You got me. Uh, let's go 50-50. <laughs> okay, 60-40. Okay. And he's just, again, like you're saying, just over and over again, revenge. Yeah. <laughs> just, <I'm> <laughs> and, and not just yelling revenge, but with like all the anger and vitriol his character can possibly muster like, <laughs> while rolling forward at one mile per hour. I also love that no one really, oh, well, I guess maybe he gets asked once or twice, but like there's not a lot of attention drawn to all of the injuries that Ken acquires as he's trying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To kill the little old lady. Oh, yeah. We haven't even talked about him killing the little old lady, which may be the funniest part of the it's movie. It's so great. <laughs> he's, he's built up as this character who cares a lot about animals, right? Mm-hmm. And animal rights and treating them correctly. And he's so worried about these three little dogs that he ends up killing. But one not the lady. By one. But like he picks them <laughs> off one at a time. Like I like that they really, really draw it out. It's not like he snuffs them out all three at once. <laughs> one at a time in like really unlikely scenarios. Yeah. And the gravestone for the second dog. The dog's name was Lucky. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> Did not see that either. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the physical injuries that he suffers are almost secondary to like how horrible he feels every time one of those dogs dies. Right. He's yeah. just like heartbroken. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, I was, like, so empathetic toward him (laughs) by the end of the movie because it was like, oh, I really wish he would have killed this old lady so these poor dogs didn't die because that (laughs) hurt him so much more. (laughs) What I thought was really funny, Dan and I watched this on Amazon, and the synopsis on Amazon is... Four conniving jewel thieves, three Yorkshire terriers, two heaving bosoms, and one proper British barrister. (laughs) Which I think is like, if you're trying to look for a movie to watch, that is the worst description you could ask for. But then seeing it after watching the movie, it's like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a tagline from an 80s comedy, honestly. Yes, definitely, yes. You know, going in, like I said at the very beginning, I... I was kind of, for some reason, expecting it to feel dated, and I was actually surprised it really didn't feel that dated at all to me, with the exception of <laughs> the airport scene, where everything about that scene <laughs> is, like, not remotely possible. <laughs> from, from, like, trading boarding passes to running around, you know, behind security with a gun to riding down the luggage chute right. to just, like, Everything about buying a ticket, yeah, yeah, ten minutes before a flight, and it's like an international flight. 
and being asked whether they wanted smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> like everything about that entire sequence would just completely baffle uh, you know, somebody in this day and age. Like, wait, what? You can do all that back yeah. then? Um, so yeah, I guess the only thing is that we guess we didn't really kind of talk about how it, it kind of culminates in Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, like perjuring herself <laughs> basically oh. <laughs> to completely screw over the George character. And then, uh, it basically enables, um, the, the Archie, the barrister, John Cleese's character to kind of run off with her. Right. It kind of opens the door for all of this, the, the final action, I guess, to take place. So you robbed the jewelers, turned one of your lovers over to the police, kept the other one on to help you find the diamonds, and when he dies, you commit perjury in the high court, right? Come on, Archie, everybody does it in America. Well, not in this country, they don't. Oh, right, like nobody lies in England, like Margaret Thatcher never lied. Look, you lied to me oh, right from on, the moment Archie, we met. Right you just from the... wanted to get me into bed. I fell in love with you. How come you dumped me, then? I wasn't rich enough, remember? Say something in Russian? No! So I left in the silences. I couldn't help myself because what happens during both of those silences is maybe my favorite part of the movie. In that last silence before she asked him to speak Russian, if you look at John Cleese's face, he's trying not to crack up. It's like he's just an instant away from laughing. I guarantee you, as soon as he said no, that they he laughed. just burst out laughing. And that's why they had to cut the scene right then. <laughs> Watch that scene again. It's, oh, well, I think and, it's absolutely also, fantastic. I mean, it does switch from, so like, you know, she's just in the car and they're arguing. And then when it's, he says he's not rich enough, like it's whatever, it strikes this moment for her where she like feels warm and fuzzy or something whatever because in the next moment there is no space between them she's completely like she's practically in his lap like while he's driving uh -huh. and so i don't know like what you know during shooting like what was funny but i agree with you that he was just like and break yep <laughs> so dan michelle thank you so much for being on the show uh you've watched something that we thought you should watch so now you get the opportunity to recommend something to the rest of the world that you think that they should watch so my recommendation, uh, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, a movie that I feel like I can watch every week for the rest of my life and somehow never uh, get tired of it, uh, High Fidelity, starring John Cusack. Oh my gosh, I'm a little bit in love with you. I know your wife's listening, <laughs> but, but this just got very real for me. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Every character, every scene. Absolutely. That movie is awesome. It's definitely my top five, and I'm saying top five yeah. very intentionally. Yes. <laughs> well, and the guy, the, the time that Dan got my number at, way after high school, after we'd known each other for 10 years, all we sat and did at the bar that night was top five lists. Nice. Oh, nice. Right. Awesome. <laughs> Inspired by high fidelity. That's fantastic. <laughs> Where I got the idea. <laughs> One of my ex actually my first ex-boyfriend, we both really liked that movie. And so like periodically over the years, like if we got back in touch or whatever, and he'd be like, so like we could get back together, right? And, I'm, and I would actually drop it from 9%. I'd be like, we have a 2% chance of getting back together. <laughs> 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 and that was like an ongoing joke because he knew what I was referencing. <laughs> uh, how about you, Michelle? What do you think everyone should experience? All I could think of was John Wayne movie that 
my family watched when I was really young. My dad's a farm boy, and so John Wayne movies were a necessity in our house. But the one that I actually enjoyed was McClintock, starring John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. And it's just like a fun Western. What's really interesting now is that because it was the way it was filmed, the video cassette that we had, you know, way back when, we couldn't see half of the scene because it was the way it was cut on the film. <laughs> yep. And so I can watch it now and it's like watching a different movie because I can see everything <laughs> that would have happened on a widescreen, you know, if you'd seen it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's kind of fun and, and something I like throw in every once in a while. And we have uh, a couple of friends that we watch, try to watch movies with every once in a while that, um, uh, is usually something one of us hasn't seen that we're forcing the others to see. And I think that's next on my list for forcing the rest of them to watch. Nice. Kind of, sounds kind of similar to this podcast. <laughs> the inspiration <laughs> for this podcast is that we kept saying that we we're going to do that. And the only way we can do it is to have a podcast to force people to watch movies. <laughs> well, I think your podcast inspired our oh, nice. monthly night to do that so See, we're getting out there jessica we're making a difference <laughs> we're changing true, the world Charlie. Be, because of you guys i made them all watch the dennis quaid martin short movie inner space from 1987 a few weeks ago <laughs> and i don't think any of them enjoyed it nearly as much as I did. <laughs> but that's okay this is really for you yes i i did not enjoy it at all <laughs> What about your recommendation this week, Charles? Oh, that's a great question because I hadn't thought about it. Let me. <laughs> let me See, that's, that makes me feel so, better because like, I was going to steal one. This is like being at a restaurant and like, no, can, can everybody else order first? <laughs> that's not why I asked you. <laughs> Dang it. Because uh, I was totally going to hijack Snatch because he brought it up and I actually was like, you know what? It does remind me of this movie to some extent. And I love that movie and I loved the. Um, some of the ridiculousness of it, like, for example, I mean, Brad Pitt, regardless of your feelings about the guy, I did enjoy the fact that, you know, he's this pretty boy or whatever, but he had a few movies where he was just kind of inserted and then in unattractive ways. Oh. So, like, if you think about um, in Ocean's 11, like, he's eating in almost every single scene. <laughs> and then, yeah. like, in Snatch, you can't understand him the vast majority of the time, and he's disgusting. Like, he's just kind of gross and dirty and, like, you know, it's a kind of infirmary math. Like, it's just, you know, you love him. I liked the goofy film um, cinematography where they're just like, oh, you know, your gun says replica down the side and it, like, the camera swings around and gets all up close, like, on the letter. Oh, yeah. You know, just some unusual things you don't, you know, typically see. That's a little campy, a little over-the-top and ridiculous, not unlike A Fish Called Wanda. Well, so if I can make one more suggestion, if, if you really like the cinematography on that, uh, the cinematographer made another movie uh, later on, a very similar feel, especially visually. Uh, but have you ever seen the movie Layer Cake? If not, I highly recommend that. It's no, I haven't. Another kind of British crime story with tons of different characters. It's very Guy Ritchie snatch mm-hmm. feeling, and it's the same cinematographer, although I don't think Guy Ritchie had anything to do with it. I could be wrong. Uh, but it starred Daniel Craig, pre-Bond. It's actually a movie that I saw that made me think uh, when they announced that he was going to be the next Bond way back then. Uh, I was like, oh my God, that'd be perfect because of that movie. Awesome. Yeah, check it out. Um, I guess for my recommendation, it's only related in that it contains Kevin Klein is The Big Chill. That's one of my... It's, 
Is it a favorite? It's not. It's not I wouldn't say it was one of my okay. favorite. But I feel that's one where if you watch it every few years, it feels different. As you age. Yes. The first time I watched it, I didn't get it at all. I will say I've only seen it once and I got done and just sat there. My mouth was still open because I'm like, I can't get over this. Like, I cannot <laughs> forgive this. This is too weird. And I was out. <laughs> But yeah, I hope we get to review that soon because, I mean, all of us here are kind of in our mid-30s, mm-hmm. right? And that's, I think, the age that the characters are supposed to be. So yeah, I think we're supposed to be, supposed like to be in that part of our yeah. life now. <laughs> so I saw that on the list and I have not seen that movie. But all I could think about was this, this scene from High Fidelity when they're doing a top five and he lists a <laughs> yep. song. and. You can't, says, oh, you can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. That's right. That's what I knew. Immediate disqualification. Because <laughs> of its involvement with the big chill. They both go, oh, you're right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the face that Jack Black makes, he's like, oh, God, you're right. Like, <laughs> it's so perfect. No, it's, it's seriously, I, I, that's honestly why I saw it. Like, because you are a High Fidelity fan, I could say that. And I was like, you know what? There's references made to that. I should see it. And so I watched it. It was like some Saturday night where I just didn't have anything going on. So I just rented it like through Amazon or something and watched it. And I was just like, what the hell is this movie supposed to really be about? Like, up until that ending, I was like, okay, I'm kind of with you. And then that just blew it for me. Maybe I have to watch it again, Charlie. Maybe you're right. Like I said, it's not one of my favorites, but it. Mm-hmm. kind of evolves as you watch it more so we'll see we'll see as it comes up mm-hmm. um anyway thank you very much to our guests dan michelle uh we appreciate you being on the show thanks for having us no problem thanks for wasting your friday night t- talking with us about something you watched two days ago <laughs> <laughs> come on charlie you're trying to make us sound really cool now <laughs> no one in this group is very cool if i'm pretty sure <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is how we spend our Friday night. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was wasting it then, guys. No. Um. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you had a good time. I know we did. And uh, be sure to catch us next time. We finally found somebody who hasn't yet seen The Godfather. Yes, that uh, obscure independent film <laughs> from the 1970s. With a terrible soundtrack. <laughs> uh, so there's a story I forgot to mention, too. I remember, was it high, I think it was in high school, right? Where I came over to your house, Dan, and we watched movies. I remember the two movies we watched, at least one night, was we watched uh, Ed Gein. Watch Donnie Darko. Yes. Right? Yes, we watched Ed Gein and yes. then Donnie Darko, which was just such a bizarre, that's a, like, so creepy. That is a bizarre double feature right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, know, I was gonna say it? that's a one-two punch of, uh, of of creepiness, Charlie. Donnie Darko was the first movie you bought on Blu-ray, Dan. It was. That's right. I, I forgot about that. It was yeah. because it was because, it was because was, of the cherished oh. memory of watching it with Charlie, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I remember watching it with charlie and having a conversation after about like you know it didn't seem to make sense but i feel like i need to watch it again like, yep. <laughs> it didn't seem like it was just poorly made it, it felt like intentional that it was you know it was bizarre yeah and whatnot, but. the thing i always like to say about it is that i'm not a huge fan of patrick swayze and i am not a huge fan of drew barrymore but i kind of like both of them in that movie <laughs> Yes, that's right. (laughs) That's right.